I'm Reverend Carla. Welcome back to Spirituality Matters. Now, before we get started, let's settle in to find that sacred space between here where I am and there where you are. And let us be reminded that the holy transcends our physical bodies. And our time together is just as meaningful and sacred as if we were sitting beside one another. I truly believe that. Okay, so let's get started. My friends, I have missed you. I cannot believe our break, our planned break was just for a couple of weeks, but obviously that took longer because sometimes that's just what happens in life. But trust me, we have been very, very busy. Now, I won't go into a lot of detail right now because I want to hop right into our topic for today. But if you haven't gone to our reimagined revcarla.com, please do so. And also go visit our Numa Soul Center for Spiritual Transformation. My friends, this is a lifetime in the making, and I think you're going to really love it. Numa, N-U-M-A soul.com. And like I said, we'll be sharing more information about that as time goes on. But I'll admit it, during this break, I did get a little frustrated and anxious about how much time it took. But something, there was always complications related to uh, technical issues, how much uh, content needed to be created. And sometimes you just have to go with the flow, even though that original two-week break ended up being a six-week break. And this was humbling for me because even for me, where I'm constantly reminding um, our followers that it's so important to ebb and flow in life. Here I was starting to get really anxious about this, but all this goes to show is that we can plan and prepare and we can prepare and plan, but oftentimes life rises up and trips us. And we just have to be able to navigate those those ebbs and flows and serpentine around things, which is what we learn to do. That's just called living. So let us get started with the, today's podcast. And the title of today's podcast is called The Rise of the Nuns, Why America is Becoming Less Christian and more compassionate. Now, I want to begin this topic by saying there was a time when this topic would have saddened me. And I actually would have rejected the subtitle altogether of America becoming more compassionate because that would not have seemed relevant to me. What was important to me was that America was seen as a Christian nation. So now don't get me wrong. There is no doubt that the rest of the world sees America as being a Christian nation. But it's important to note that right here, America is seen as a certain type of Christian. And the way we are viewed is through the, the lens of Christianity being seen and connected to white nationalism. Now, some Christians try to reject that label, but that is the reality of how Christianity is viewed. They are the ones who in the face of these horrible injustices that we've experienced over the past year, especially in 2020, where they will respond with prayer vigils and nothing else. There is no call for social activism or social uh, equity. They are often the ones who will say, well, all lives matter. They refuse to recognize that a prayer vigil without action is actually the equivalent to all lives matter. They don't even have to say it. These Christians, history will remember them as the ones who elevated Donald Trump to the highest office in this country. And 
I've said it before and I'll say it again. Donald Trump is as far away from a Christian as you can be, even though he now says he identifies as a non-denominational Christian. So let's let's talk about non-denominational Christianity for just a minute, because basically what this is, it is a marketing tool to distance Christians from the evangelical or fundamental fundamentalist label. And it worked for a while because you saw this massive growth of these mega churches and non-denominational churches sprouting up all over the place. And a lot of them use the Hillsong Church model. Now, the Hillsong Church is based out of Australia, founded by Bobby and Brian Houston. And a lot of American churches globbed onto that model to show that they are non-denominational. This is the kind of church that you put the pastor in jeans, you have a rock band and oftentimes a smoke machine. And instead of a sanctuary, you have a stage, you have a performance stage. And that leads seekers, spiritual seekers, to believe that the, the theology has been liberated, that the theology has been modernized. And so the things that they're rejecting about their faith, they can find in non-denominational. But basically, I'm telling you, this notion is false. And that is why, in general, Christianity is still on a downward spiral of attendance and membership, because non denominational is not a move from, but a protection of this kind of toxic theology, this kind of theology that is entrenched in white nationalism and homophobia. And the reason why I say toxic theology, because a lot of people say, well, you're, you're damaging, you're talking about my beliefs. Well, human rights always take precedence over religious beliefs. I'll say it again. Human rights always takes precedence over religious beliefs. So if your religious beliefs are entrenched in a belief system that requires that certain large swaths of of people, I'm talking about the LGBTQIA plus community, and that you don't get involved as social justices like we've seen with systemic racism, then you are suppressing large swaths of humanity. That to me is a toxic theology. So listen to this carefully worded response to questions put forth by the religious uh, news services. And all these will have links in the show notes so you can go look these articles up yourself. But in in October of 2020, religious news services asked then President uh, Trump these questions. And what they asked him was that, are you still a Presbyterian? Because I think he was raised Presbyterian, but that's when he said that he was no longer a Presbyterian. Presbyterian, he was a non-denominational Christian. And I think at the right before the election, that was very intentional so that they they could draw on the evangelical crowd, which was responsible for getting him elected. Now, these questions that the religious news services uh, posed to President Trump was very much cued through Paula Trump, which who is um, who was at the time President's Trump religious advisor. So she was in charge of all this. And we've also found out since then that what actually happened is that the religious news services wasn't didn't get a chance to actually talk directly with President then President Trump. They were submitted the questions and the White House admitted that other people answered them. And then of course, President Trump uh, approved approved them, but, and that's not necessarily um, not uncommon for that to happen. You have all kinds of writers that are inside the White House to take care of some of the, uh, 
all the questions and the requests for interviews and information that come in. But I do think it was very selective that Paula White was instrumental in answering these questions because Trump had already been tripped up a couple of times about religion and he certainly wasn't going to again. Because uh, sometime in 2015, he was asked, he was then a candidate for prep for president, he was asked, what is your favorite Bible verse? And he kept saying, oh, I, I have so many, I don't want to answer that. I don't want to muddy the waters with that. Well, that was a red flag for a lot of people. Yes, you have a right to keep your faith to yourself. But as most of us who have studied the Bible, there are verses that you can easily pluck out that are meaningful to you. So that was kind of seen as uh, him being very dismissive of his faith or his actual belief. And in an article uh, from The Atlantic, again, a link in the show notes. Trump finally did come up with a verse. And what he said was this verse was related to Exodus 21. And this is the one where we talk about eye for an eye. And he equated that to mean that he was going to enforce Exodus 21, eye for an eye, toward all of those who had stolen jobs in America. Now, let's insert a little bit of an awkward silence here, because most of us understand that the law of retaliation that Exodus 21 is describing here, this sounds kind of ridiculous if he's applying it to the loss of American jobs, because what does that mean? So we're going to retaliate by taking the jobs from the people who now have them, who are not at fault for just wanting to also provide for their families. These were jobs that were made at, these were decisions that were made at the corporate level. So is he going to physically attack the corporate leaders? What exactly is he going to do? The Because the most of us who study scripture understand that we no longer really adhere or believe that this verses, verse teaches the pure retribution that we look for anymore. So it's really about understanding that if someone is harmed, they deserve some kind of com compensatory relief or something like that. So it wasn't real clear what exactly he meant by that, but uh, several scholars, including someone from um, the Hebrew tradition, which of course he's he's talking about Exodus, which is really interesting because I I specifically have issue when Christians go back and hijack what they call the Old Testament scripture, which is which is the Hebrew Bible. So that that language is still very much alive for the he for the Jewish people. Now we have it in the Christian Bible as the Old Testament and the New Testament, but I think that Christians need to be very careful as claiming those words for their own, especially when they also then out of the same mouth will talk about living under the new covenant of the law. So if you're living under the new covenant of law, then let's not go back and talk about um, which the new covenant would be under once Jesus was once Jesus's uh, ministry began. So that I, sorry, sometimes I forget that I'm talking to people who aren't entrenched in Christianity as I am. Um, so you understand that the, if that's the new covenant, those laws are no longer irrelevant, but it's interesting that he who wanted to show himself as being much a very masculine warrior protector type, that, that, that Trump's eye gouging interpretation was something that he wanted to be seen for. But What's really interesting, just flip a few pages back there 
former President Trump and look at Leviticus, where it talked about the penalty of sleeping with a, a married woman, which was stoning to death. So how much of that law are we actually abiding by? So let's just be really careful. That's kind of a side note. But anyway, back to Paula White. So she was his personal advisor to the White House Faith and Opportunity Initiative. So she is also known for some of her very, um, how you say, interesting comments at one of the uh, a prayer a prayer that she offered at one of the Republican uh, convention meetings. She asked God. Actually, she hear her exact words. We command all satanic pregnancies to miscarry right now. We command all satanic pregnancies to miscarry right now. What is she saying? I'm not giving this person any more airtime than what she already has. It already breaks my heart that she's married to Jonathan Cain, who is uh, whose legend comes from the band Journey. And I've been a huge Journey fan my entire life. Steve Perry is one of my <laughs> one of my rock idols. So how can that be taken away from me by him being married to Paula White? Uh, Paula White. I'm sorry. So back to that religious news survey. So that was kind of a long term, long winded uh, detour there. But it's important to understand some of what was happening with how religion was always being blended into Trump's political uh, political life, because it was very important that the evangelicals saw in him a path to keep their agenda moving. They didn't really care anything about his character or his, or his integrity. They decided a long time ago that they would mire themselves or, or bind themselves to corrupt individuals if it meant that white nationalism would continue to prevail in this country. And that's the truth. So during that for that interview for religious news services, one of the questions that they posed to the then president was, are you, do you consider yourself an evangelical Christian now? Now, Trump did not answer that question. Well, he didn't answer it anyway. Most people agree that it was Paula White, but the answer that came back, he didn't answer that question. What he said was he was grateful for the passionate evangelicals who support him and how helpful they have been to him. And then he went on to say, and I quote the article, they are passionate about America's traditional values and want our churches to be open. Now, remember, this is in October of 2020 when, when our country is still mired in a pandemic. And this is coded language. This is low-key racism. This is low-key transphobia, transphobia, homophobia, and xenophobia, because the part about America's traditional values is the language that's going to ignite the, the energies of the evangelical Christian who understand that you are looking at a Judeo-Christian, white nationalist majority rule in that, 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 that power, that that influence continues to permeate into our country. So make sure you pay attention to those kinds of languages when you're listening to religious leaders speak, because that very much was a cue that might be missed by someone who just thinks, oh, well, traditional values, wouldn't that be something we want? No, it isn't if it's suppressing our fellow humans in this country. Now, back on podcast 22 uh, in January, I discussed in great detail the radicalization of Christianity and its ties to white supremacy. So if you want to dig a little bit deeper into that, check that out. But for now, we're going to go ahead and move on because I started this discussion by saying that there would have been a time that it would have been more important to me that America was seen as a Christian nation than to be considered a compassionate one. I understood 
that if America wasn't seen as Christian, then we were losing something about the battle. Everything was about the war, the battle. That was part of my indoctrination into my beliefs. So that I, I also thought that we were losing this, this uh, battle that we were always told that Christians were in. But somewhere along the, the way, I grew weary of feeling as if I was doing battle with the evils of the world. Because when I finally looked into the eyes of my neighbors and my friends and my colleagues who who I was called to proselytize my faith to, instead I saw their humanity. What they saw in me was someone who was judging them, who couldn't see them for who they were. And so I wanted to lay down these religious beliefs because these weapons of hurt that I had been taught that somehow I was superior because I belonged to this Christian club. And if you didn't, well, I pitied you. And that you just couldn't see the errors of your ways and, well, you know, have fun in hell. But I remember that season of laying down those weapons, and it took several months of deconstructing, even while I was still attending church. But that final day, when I walked out of the church, I knew I would never return. I didn't know what I was moving toward, but I knew the spiritual void that lie ahead of me was worth the risk because my soul was suffocating inside church. That is where today finds us. And that's the title of today's podcast, The Rise of the Nuns. And that's N-O-N-E-S, meaning non-religious, moving away from any kind of identifying factor. And that is markedly different than non-denominational, where the beliefs are still very much there inside the church, they're just hidden behind that smoke screen and that rock band and that drummer. It's, but that is still very much there. The nuns are the ones who no longer identify or belong to any kind of religion, including Christianity. And this is a significant shift because this just happened. And it's important to notice these things, like I said before, but it's also understandable if you missed it. I mean, the world is in chaos. We're still in the middle of a global pandemic. And of course, all of the things that are happening here on the political side of our nation keeps us distracted. But this data, it's absolutely stunning. So for those of us who have rejected toxic theology that permeates America's Christianity, this data is not surprising because for the first time in history, for the first time in American history, people in the United States who say they are affiliated with any religion, not just Christianity, but with any religion, fell below 50%. It came in at 47%. And this is a valid Gallup poll. Again, link in the show notes. So we are no longer a religious nation, and we are no longer a Christian nation. So if you are shocked about this, then you aren't paying attention because perhaps a more accurate reflection would be to see that, to say that Christians continue to ignore that this trend has been happening for 80 years in this country, and this is not a fluke. This shift started, and in 1999, 70% of Americans identified with religion. But in 2018, that was down to 50%. And then in the latest, this latest data shows that 
more than 50%, right around 53% of Americans say they are no longer affiliated with any religion, including Christianity. So if you, yes, you can put in, um, you can put in uh, Judaism and you can put in Islam and you can put in all the other uh, religions of the world, but for an, for a country who I, who wants to be identified as a Christian nation, this is significant. The majority of Americans in right now consider themselves non-religious. So my friends, it's time for us to start paying attention to this data because the, the way America, the, the community, the population, the demographics tell us which way we're moving and our politics are going counter to that. So our politics are not reflecting what the, who the American people are. Now, another significant article came out in The Guardian in 2017, and what it says is, and this was another uh, nonpartisan research or organization called the Public Religion uh, Research Institution, and there they found out that white Christians, and we're just talking about demographics, we're not talking about uh, religious affiliation other than just talking about population bases. White Christians are a minority in the U.S. Uh, population. So just looking at our, uh, our Americans who are of color and uh, from different countries, the white Christian is now a minority. Now, many people will start sending up flares to say, wait a minute, this shouldn't be, but we've always been head headed this way because we're a nation of immigrants. We're not that old. And of course, that's how we were, we were founded in the first place. So this is a day of reckoning, my friends. It's time for those of us who understand, who have had concerns about this tie to a toxic theology that suppressed large swaths of humanity in our country are no longer being supported by the majority of the Americans. So it's time for us to make sure that our laws and our politics reflect our humanity. What is our agenda? Why are we no longer finding what we want inside religion? So for a long time, many of us, myself included, longed for our religious heritage to pay attention and learn from those of us who could no longer reconcile, reconcile our spirituality to a toxic theology that suffocates these basic human rights. But our cries for social justice our cries for moral equity, our cries for a bigger table of humanity, they've just kept repeatedly gotten ignored. And we've been tossed aside with words of condemnation, so vitriolic that it's hard to believe that these people espouse to being, to walk their lives as Jesus did. And I believe this is the greatest lie that's being taught in Christianity right now. One that reconciles a toxic faith with a compassionate Christ. And this, I believe, is the reason why people are rejecting it in record numbers, it being Christianity. They're walking out of church doors and they're never returning. Now, yes, like I said earlier, all religions experience this drop, but Christians pride themselves on calling themselves uh, America a Christian nation. But this data confirms, even in the Pew Research Center back in 2019 revealed that declining church numbers are continuing at a rapid pace throughout this country. Now, some people will, right here will say, uh, well, that's because people are just turning away from God. Mm -mm, that's not true. Don't go there what we're doing. We're not rejecting God. 
we're not rejecting spirituality. We are rejecting your version of God. And we are growing tired of this religious radicalism that has a stranglehold on human rights in this country. So the truth is that the data has revealed what we already know. America is becoming more compassionate. America is building, the people of this country are building a bigger table. The people of this country care. In the radicalized Christian's mind, all is fair in the name of their religion and toxic theology, but that looks nothing like what Jesus envisioned. It is time for those of us who feel differently to make sure that we are paying attention to what's happening in our laws and in our politics to make sure that our values, our beliefs are being reflected in our government institutions and our laws and our, our rule of law. So this used to break my heart. I've seen this data for a long time. And I think once when I first left church, I wanted to work. I saw myself working for the common good. And that meant trying to fix what was broken inside church. I longed for my religious heritage to model the words and the life of Jesus and turn away from the antiquated patriarchal system. That has been that this that has been in place in the 21st century. So so why why what made what changed for me? Well, I can tell you in one word, time. Because time has a way of healing those wounds. And beloved, these wounds are healing. And I say healing because any kind of religious trauma or spiritual abuse has a way of constantly coming back up in memories or triggered in certain ways. So we want to take care of ourselves to make sure that we're, we're always being fully supported. Because I know even for me, there are times where I have to stop and still do some deconstructing and remembering some of the experiences that I had and release them so that I can continue to serve my highest good. And my highest good is keeping my soul healthy for the work I'm here to do. But I am no longer waiting for religion to change. There was a time when I hoped we could work together to heal what is wrong with religion, but I no longer hope that anymore. I've stopped focusing on its downfall and have set my sights on the growing community of nuns. That's us. And so to you, beloveds, my fellow nuns, my fellow spiritual but not religious, my fellow spiritual sojourner, my fellow spiritual seeker, the agnostic, the atheist the humanist, the person who's trying to heal from religious trauma. I see you. There's a place here for us. We have work to do. It is sacred healing work and we can do it together because I do believe in what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, and he was quoting someone from long ago when he said, we shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. We must continue to be a kinder, more compassionate and equitable existence, a more compassionate nation for all. That is who America should be. That's who the majority of Americans are. But my friends, we cannot fix what is broken when that which is broken refuses to see that it's broken.
It is time for us to find one another and to help one another heal from whatever trauma we have and to make sure that we're fighting for rights for everyone because religion has hurt too many people for too long. So my friends, we have work to do. Come, let's do this work together for liberty and justice for all because that is the American way. And blessed be and amen. Oh, it's so good to be back. I'm so glad to be back in front of this, this microphone. And beloveds, I'm honored to be in this space with you. And I pray you received something. I know that I did because the teacher teaches what she needs to hear. And now, beloveds, go in peace and be at peace. Go in love and may you be loved. Go and know that others are on this journey worth with you and you are not, not alone. You are seen and deeply and unconditionally loved just the way you are. Make it a beautiful week. Blessings on your soul. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. Be sure to like and subscribe to Spirituality Matters wherever you listen to podcasts. You can watch the uncut version of today's episode on YouTube. Be sure to like and subscribe to Rev Carla's channel for more videos. Submit questions for upcoming Q&A videos or topics of discussion to spiritualitymatters at revcarla.com. As always, follow at Rev Carla on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Pinterest for more spirituality teachings. Bye for now!